Welcome back, Legends, to episode 21 of the Legends Podcast. I am one half of the Legends Podcast, Ari Levy, along with my co-host, Sam Mannheimer. We have a good friend of the program on today, uh, a friend of mine that I've known since my uh, Camp Shy days. I think we met in 2006. We did college together. True legend, Andy Margolis. Yeah, Andrew Shelby Margolis, known also as Randy to some absolute legend, one of our best friends, like you said, been through a lot of fun times with him, really interesting guy, has a lot of good perspective on life and definitely somebody whose opinion I value quite a lot. So it was great to hear from Andy on our 21st episode. Yeah. And, uh, you know, me and him have been in the trenches together from, from a young age. We talk the evolution of Andy to Randy and he just shares some good times from from college as well as his experience kind of living lease free and traveling during COVID. Yeah, that'll be coming up in just a few minutes. But before we get into that, Ari, I think you had a much more enjoyable Thursday of the NFL draft than I did. Why don't we start off talking about the Chicago Bears and where you're at currently, and then I'll talk about where, where I'm at. Yeah, so I had a great Thursday as well as a great uh, Friday. Um, so the draft kind of went as expected to start. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and then the big secret at three was, you know, Trey Lance, which a lot of people were saying it was going to be Trey Lance or Mac Jones. A couple things here. If you guys listened to the episode last week, I said, in my opinion, Justin Fields was the second best quarterback available. Um, we'll get to that, how that all transpired in a second. I do believe that the New York media and the New York Jets are going to destroy Zach Wilson. That kid looks like he's straight out of the fucking Disney Channel. Although the Jets did make some good picks throughout the draft, and they're Adam Gase is gone, like maybe they could turn it around, but I could just totally see them ruining that child. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a weird-sounding take, but I think that Zach Wilson is too good-looking to be bad. Like, if he's bad, then the New York media is just going to love to hate him because, like, nobody wants to see somebody who's, like, better looking and younger looking than they are succeed. But if he's good, then, like, maybe he's, like, a Joe Namath kind of guy. But he's definitely not going to be the partier that Joe was. I I, I do believe he's Mormon, so I don't know how much he's going to rage, which is probably good. Because, honestly, Sam Darnold may have raged too much considering he got mono from maybe hooking up with somebody out at a nightclub. But, yeah, I mean, you're not going to have that problem with Zach Wilson. He does have a quite a talented arm. And I did read an article on him a few weeks back about how he worked really, really hard to kind of get where he's at and we'll see how he does. I I mean, I hope he does well for his sake, but I I am interested to see what the New York media does with him if things don't go well, because I mean, let's be honest, it's the Jets. They're probably not going to go well. For sure. But with that being said, he also has a unique opportunity ahead of him. Uh, The guy that comes in and brings the Jets back to prominence will be immortalized forever. That's true. And New York sports are kind of undergoing a little bit of a renaissance right now, I would say, between the Knicks being one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, the Nets are killing it. The Mets are relevant again. They've got talent and a lot of money behind them. And now, I mean, if you get the Jets playing well, too, I mean, the the guards are definitely falling right for New York sports. So maybe uh, Zach Wilson is going to be part of that momentum. Yeah. So as the draft went on uh, last week, I I did describe how I laid out a few scenarios of how the Bears could get Justin Fields, who I thought was the second best quarterback in the draft, which involved trading with Carolina at eight. 
that's not exactly how it went down. For those that watched, the New York Giants were, were trying to take a wide receiver, and I think they were hoping that either Jalen Waddell or Devontae Smith would, would fall to them. Um, the Eagles ended up trading up to 10, basically swapping 10 and 12 with the, with the Cowboys, um, and they took Devontae Smith, the Alabama Heisman Trophy winner, and then Jalen Waddell went 7 was it seven to the Dolphins? So New yeah. York wasn't New York wasn't able to to get that. So Chicago decided it was time to make a move. Had they waited till twenty, they were not going to be able to get either Mac Jones or or Justin Fields. So they traded their twentieth pick this year, their first round pick next year, a fifth and a fourth for the 11th pick and they took Justin Fields and I'm really happy about it. And I think everyone else is, um, he obviously was great in college and he went to a college football playoff. He went to a college football playoff semifinal. The guy's a winner and he's got a cannon of an arm. People say, I hated that that people were trying to compare him to Trubisky, but like, which was so annoying because like one, the biggest issue with Trubisky was he can't throw the he couldn't throw the ball downfield like he just could not throw the ball very far. He was a very short passing game. Justin Fields is not afraid to fucking throw a sixty yard pass by any means. And Justin Fields played two full seasons as the starting quarterback of Ohio State, arguably a top three football program in the country. And he went to a college football playoff and a college football. Play- playoff semifinal like the guy has the experience and the skill set I do think he was very overlooked I said this last week and I I think he will show for it the Bears said they're going to bring him along slowly I think Andy Dalton sucks I I I think he's horrible but I do think as a rookie coming in to a quarterback room with Andy Dalton and Nick Foles is like not the worst thing in the world no as a non-Chicago Bears fan living in Chicago, I do get a lot of schadenfreude from seeing Chicago sports not succeed. The Bears have kind of been an excellent team for me to cheer against just because they've always kind of come up short in a lot of different spots. We could talk for days about the double doink and just Mitch Trubisky missing wide open receivers, Kyle Mooney having 10 yards of separation and Trubisky not even looking at him. That said, I love Justin Fields. I agree with you, Ari, that I, I think he's probably the second best quarterback in the draft. NFL draft positioning and kind of evaluation is just so weird to me because coming out of the season, it was a clear one-two with Lawrence and Fields being the top two guys. But then you get Zach Wilson coming in, and there's just a lot of like upside there. Kind of honestly, the way Trubisky snuck up the draft boards a few years back when he got taken in front of Mahomes and Watson, which Ari, I don't know if you knew or not, but like. The Bears did draft Trubisky before Deshaun Watson and Pat Mahomes. But anyway, back to what I was saying. Fields looks like a winner. I love his attitude. He showed so much toughness in the college football playoff game against Clemson, where he took a shot that honestly might have broken the two of us in half. And he came back in the game, clearly hurt, and proceeded to just continue to dominate Clemson, who's a championship caliber team in and of themselves. So, and a friend of the program. Yep, yep, and a friend of the program. That's right. <laughs> Shout out, Feldy. 
but I, I do hope Fields does well. I mean, I, I don't want to see the Bears do well, but I do want to see Fields do well. And if it means that the Bears are going to do well, I'll take it. The kid, uh, the kid plays hard, and I, I love his style. I mean, he scrambles. He throws deep. He's gutsy. He had a bad game against Indiana. He had a bad game against Northwestern, which honestly I think kind of got blown out of proportion. And there was such a small sample size with him this year, given that the Big Ten started late, that like those games probably had an outsized impact on his stock. Indiana had a really good defense last year. Northwestern did too with Pat Fitzgerald. So, I mean, you could cherry pick games here and there, but I mean, at the biggest stage he delivered. Yeah. The, the NFL draft is, is, well, first off, I just want to say that you definitely dislike the bears more after they took Khalil Mack off your hands from That's, as a Raiders fan, which probably builds a little resentment, but at least now living in Chicago, you are in the market to watch him every Sunday if you so if you so please and still cheer for him. I think the NFL draft is so it's a super positional based draft. So like good player if a team that people thought was going to take someone and they pass on them, they could fall. And you kind of see that a lot in the NFL. And I think a lot of the times these GMs, especially now, they overthink it so much or they think one guy is going to be really good when he's not. And they think one guy is going to be really bad when it was all there. Like perfect examples, a guy like DK Metcalf, who is now one of the best wide receivers in, in the NFL. People thought that like he wasn't able to run routes and he fell out of the first round. And then it was very clear when he got to the NFL that like he like, was so much faster and stronger than anyone that they could put on him that like, I mean, it also helps that Russell Wilson is there, but just dominant. Another thing that I'm really, I am concerned about Justin Fields though, is that Matt Nagy and and uh, Ryan Pace will fuck him up. Um, and there's a very interesting point that Todd McShay made about Patrick Mahomes, which I, I never really thought about when I was listening to part of my take. He said he had Mahomes as his third best quarterback between Trubisky and Deshaun Watson coming out of that year because his mechanics were all fucked up and like, he just like, obviously he could throw the ball far and like, you know, he was a gunslinger, but like his mechanics are right. And basically when the chiefs took him, they were like, your mechanics are fucked up. We're not putting you in until you fix, like f- figure it out. And Andy Reid and Matt Nagy, who was the OC at the time worked with Mahomes for a year on fixing his mechanics. And then they put him in when he's ready. So like, more more so in the NFL than NBA, but like a lot of it is the coaching staff you have and like their willingness to work with you to make you a better player, not just assume that you're going to go out there and ball out. Yeah, no, I mean, that is a very, very good point. I mean, you think about some of the best quarterbacks, and I think this was honestly a take on Bill Simmons, so apologies if I'm just carbon copying this, but some of the best quarterbacks all went to the best systems. You think about Russell Wilson, he went to Pete Carroll, and obviously he's got a just incredible system set up there. You think about Aaron Rodgers, I mean, Green Bay is just a legendary team with great infrastructure. And he was sitting behind Brett Favre. You think about Brady, obviously the Belichick connection there. Like the best guys are on the best teams. And there's a lot of really good players who just get put in positions where literally nobody's going to be able to succeed. Like Sam Rosen, not a good quarterback or even maybe Josh, a good Rosen. Josh Rosen, not Sam Rosen, probably some kid named, named Sam Rosen that I just shouted out on accident. Sure. Yeah, dozens. Anyway, um, Josh Rosen. I mean, you could have put... Joe Montana or anybody on one of those teams and they weren't going to win. Cause like there's just certain teams that just aren't built to win. Yeah. So that's another thing I'm concerned with Wilson on this year, uh, Zach Wilson and that the jets just don't have the infrastructure historically speaking, but now they have a great defensive minded head coach with Robert Sala. So in theory, then he's going to be able to just score a little bit and be fine. So 
it would be interesting to see there. And then honestly, the Bears too, they've always been a quarterback away, but Nagy's kind of an airhead, in my opinion, offensively. At least he's been one with Trubisky. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. But defensively, like Fields is in a best case scenario there. Yeah. And the Bears have like, they, I do think they have a really good team. Their biggest issues last year were quarterback and offensive line, which I want to talk about in a moment. But they, they are going to need to still work with him. And like, I really hope Nagy doesn't fuck this up. I do think Fields will fit better into what Nagy was trying to do than Trubisky. And speaking of offensive line, I think the Bears also got an A-plus second-round pick, Tevin Jenkins. A lot of mock drafts had him going to the Bears at 20 in the first round. As we discussed earlier, the NFL draft is very positional-based, so when a team passes on someone, they could fall 10 to 20 picks sometimes just because the, the teams drafting don't need anyone. He's a dominant, a dominant offensive tackle at Oklahoma State. He was pancaking people. I think he was Mel Kuyper's third best offensive tackle, something around that, on, on his big board. So the Bears had an opportunity to go up and trade for him in the second round. So they drafted their quarterback and they drafted an offensive lineman. So I'm very, very, very stoked about the Bears. I will be totally honest. I don't know who the Raiders took. So what do you, what do you, what are your thoughts on the Raiders? This is t- going to be tough for me to talk about. So that was a big sigh, by the way. I know. So well, just, I mean, just let, let it, let it all out. I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. I've dedicated years of my life caring about the Raiders. Bought lots of merchandise, spent lots of Sundays building my day around, making sure I'm going to be able to watch the game. I follow them on the offseason, read articles on a daily basis about how the team's doing. And they just continuously find ways to let me down. This is So they picked Alex Leatherwood, who was a tackle, which was a position that we needed, Ari, like we were saying, very positional-based. That said, we picked Leatherwood, who was PFF's eighth-ranked offensive tackle in the draft with the number 17 pick. He was the 40th best overall player in the draft, according to pro football focus, 17th overall taken. It's just ridiculous to me that the Raiders just cannot wrap their heads around making value-based decision. It's totally fine if Leatherwood is the guy that they want to take because he was actually graded as one of the best run blockers in the league. We have two really good running backs actually now with Kenyon Drake coming along now with uh, Josh Jacobs. So, I mean, run game is a huge part of Gruden's offense. I totally get the desire to have a guy who's going to be a good run blocker, but that said, trade back, get some value in return for a guy that nobody else is going to want for another 20 picks. So (laughs) when that pick was announced, I wanted either Tevin Jenkins or, Christian Derrishaw, both of whom were available. And I hear Alex Leatherwood taken. And I'm like, I don't even know who this guy is. Because I, in all of the Raiders mock drafts I've been following, he was never mentioned in the first round. So I just like swore really loudly. And Sarah was like, Sam, are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm honestly not okay. And I'm still not okay about, about it. But I just kind of learned to deal with this because they did the same thing with Clellan Farrell a few years ago, same exact concept, where it's a guy that was kind of projected to go late first round. We take him with the fourth overall pick. Like it's just Mayock and Gruden together act as if it's the 1950s. And they also have just this ego about them where they think that they're smarter than everyone else in the league. When in reality, the rest of the league is building consensus because they're all 
doing independent research and coming to the same conclusions. Like, why would you think that just because you have a different conclusion than everyone else, that everyone else is wrong? Like, maybe look in the mirror and question whether or not you're the one that's wrong. So that's just me. So we took, uh, yeah, took Alex Leatherwood. I'm excited. I hope, I hope for the best for him. I think the fan base will be forgiving for him. Like, if he's not amazing, then it's fine because he wasn't projected to be a first-round pick. It's on Mayock and Gruden if he doesn't pan out. But we got a good safety in the second round who we traded up to get Trayvon Morig out of TCU. So I like that. We drafted the positional guys that we needed, but oh, it just kills me year after year when we do dumb stuff like this. Well, you and me have been very ahead of the game on our uh, sports picks. And, you know, last week we, we did talk about how the Raiders really liked to take guys that weren't anywhere near what what they what they were projected at. So can't really say we're surprised that they did that. No, I mean, it's not surprising. At least they're consistent. At least they do it every year. They're consistently inconsistent in how yeah. they operate. That's probably the best way I can put it. One pick that I was very, very baffled by, and I'm sure you were also, was uh, Trey Lance going number three to the Niners. That one came out of nowhere, really. I mean, Lance was plus 300 to be the third overall pick. Everyone really thought that Mac Jones was going to be the guy. Pretty crazy to see a shakeup like that. The Niners actually apparently didn't tell Shanahan who their pick was going to be until the draft, which is pretty wild, too. I respect a GM that's not considering a coach at the time because you do kind of have to operate independently. But the other thing that was kind of cool to me about that pick was that by not showing their hand that they were going to take a guy who was going to be able to run, it kind of screws over the other teams in their division who may have altered their draft strategy to be able to get somebody who could match up with a running quarterback, like a, a fast middle linebacker or something like that, you know? So I was very impressed by that pick. And I mean, people were saying that Lance could be this year's Mahomes where somebody that may not be coming into the league as refined and polished as maybe someone like Mac Jones, who looks like he's ready to step in and run an NFL offense kind of from day one. But I mean, Lance could really come out as the best guy in the draft too. Time will tell with that, but I was impressed by that pick. Yeah. So I got a couple things on my mind. Going back to what I said about Justin Fields, how I thought he was the most complete player and he had the most to show for it outside of Trevor Lawrence. The Niners gave up three first-round picks to move up to take Trey Lance. It was a massive haul that they gave up to move there for a guy that played one season and then sat out this year. Apparently, his, like, psychoanalyst tests or something was like off the charts like he, he's very like very bright and like there was a lot to show for it again like I, you know i'm not an nfl gm but like it did like it just seems so risky to me like like i think like north dakota state is the best fbs football school but like to me the eye test it's like north dakota state ohio state north dakota state ohio state that's just how i feel um but not my team. You don't care about the Niners. Like, you know, maybe it'll work out for them. One thing that I did want to, we haven't brought up yet, which is very relevant is, you know, the bears go out, they trade up to take their franchise quarterback on the same day. Rogers decides he wants out of uh, green Bay. It's a monumental day for Chicago bears fans. Yeah, well, I think it ultimately came out that the issue that Rodgers has is with the GM, which honestly, I don't blame him. When you look at the guys that they've drafted in the last few years, I mean, you're not taking any sort of skill position talent that's going to help Rodgers. And when they could have taken 
a receiver or somebody last year in the draft, they draft Jordan Love, who's going to be Rodgers' replacement. doesn't help him at all to have him on the team. I don't blame Rodgers. I mean, we've seen a lot of players, especially in basketball, kind of force their way out of situations. The fact that that's kind of trickling into the NFL doesn't surprise me at all. And it starts with a guy like Rodgers, who, I mean, he's the MVP, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. If there's anyone that can force their way out of a situation, it's him. But I mean, similar to Deshaun Watson, who obviously has a lot of other issues right now, Rodgers is under contract and the Packers don't have to trade him. I think it was very obvious kind of even before what he said that he didn't want to be there. But I mean, he could very well wind up still suiting up for them. So I don't think your troubles are over, but it is definitely a good thing for Chicago sports to have a salty Aaron Rodgers uh, in your division. For sure. I'm also happy that like now that the Bears have Justin Fields, we don't have to. But even with all the issues, I mean, I was like, I, I still wanted the Bears to trade for Deshaun Watson because I, I it would have been just like we would get a quarterback. Even though I saw a report that said suspended, there's no way yeah, he's yeah, playing he this, year. Play this year. Um, for good another reason. thing that that I saw, um, and I think was a really good pick, last pick of the second round, the Tampa Bay Bucks looks like it picked. Tom Brady's successor. Tom Brady's successor has been drafted before from Ryan Mallett in Arkansas to Jimmy Garoppolo, and the man just never retired, and he's still playing at a high level. But what I was reading was, is first of all, they were looking at taking trash in the first round with the last pick, and they didn't do it, and they waited, and he fell to them in the second round. But apparently the GM has been talking with Brady for weeks about how he really likes Trasks and he wants to bring him in and he wants Brady to show him the ropes. And Brady was all for it. He knew there was a possibility. Apparently, Rodgers had no idea that the Packers were going to take a quarterback last year, which really rubbed him the wrong way. And that would probably rub me the wrong way too. It's one it's one thing to do it like kind of just like out of the blue, but had they gone to him and been like, listen, like – like we want to draft a quarterback so you can mentor him. Rodgers probably would have been like, well, I actually don't think we need a quarterback. I think we need a wide receiver, and I think we want need one now, and I want to play for another like eight years. You know what I mean? Just giving examples of, of, of the ways that conversation could have went. But that that is how you piss off your best player. No, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, we saw that with Tom Brady and Belichick too. I mean, a lot of people think that Brady ultimately leaving New England was – in, in large part because of the whole fiasco with Garoppolo and how much kind of leverage Brady had within the organization versus Belichick. So yeah, you definitely don't want to be creating a power struggle with your franchise quarterback. But then again, they also won a Super Bowl and that kind of makes up for a lot of issues. And the Packers quite simply aren't able to cover anybody when it matters and they're not going to win a Super Bowl probably this year. I mean, we saw it against Tampa Bay. So winning solves everything. And if you're not winning, that's when the trouble starts. Yeah. And, and the way the, the way Brady and, uh, and Belichick, how it all ended, what they accomplished together might never be accomplished again in the NFL. I mean, we'll see. But, like, it's it's pretty remarkable. But at the same time, the way it kind of ended, like, you had two guys who were just super competitive and like they'd been working together for 20 years. And I think by the end of it, they were like annoyed with each other. If that like kind of like makes sense, but Brady apparently had been annoyed for two years, but he was under contract and he was like, I'm going to play out until my contract's done. And you know, 
Rodgers is kind of being a little uh, baby back bitch right now about the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, Rodgers has a questionable kind of social track record. He doesn't talk to his family. Kind of a weird dude. <laughs> Very petty. I mean, when he got drafted by the Packers, people thought that he was going to go second overall to the Niners. And when he got drafted, somebody asked him if he thought that the Niners would regret not drafting him or something like that. And he, he like had very salty things to say about it. So, I mean, he holds a grudge and if you rub him the wrong way, he's not going to forget about it. Wait, what, what was it that they asked him? Or are you upset that the San Francisco 49ers didn't draft you or something like that? Not as upset as they will be about not drafting me. Yeah. I mean, he went out there and he showed up, but you know, again, Drafted into a very good situation instead of going to a bad Niners team and having to run for his life. And, you know, Brady went to the Pats and played there for 20 years. So it's the NFL. It's just it's crazy. It is crazy how these guys could go at like a great player could go to a bad team and that team could just fuck them up. Yep. But. We'll be talking about 20 years from now about how uh, Alex Leatherwood was the greatest offensive lineman in NFL history. So mm, I, maybe Tevin Jenkins. <laughs> he wears well, rack specs when he plays. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not fucking running into the guy that wears rack specs. It's fair. You got to respect that. Well, I think we've spent a lot of time dissecting the NFL draft. I'm excited for this upcoming season. As upset as I am about the Raiders consistently letting me down. I will learn nothing from my emotions and I'll continue to pour my heart onto, into the team. So looking forward to it. I'm ready to be heard again for sure. <laughs> well, with that, I think we can pivot over to our interview with Andy Shelby Margolis. And without further ado. All right. We now welcome on a legendary guest. A friend of mine that goes back all the way to Camp Shy in 2006. Uh, we did camp together. We did college together. We've been on many adventures together. The one and only Andy, Randy, Margolis. Andy, it's so good to have you on the Legends podcast. Sam, Ari, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Andy, your voice is a natural fit for the podcast. <laughs> you have a radio voice. I've always thought that you sound like you could work for NPR. So. For all the listeners, just sit back, relax, and uh, put your feet up and just enjoy enjoy the soothing sound of Andy's voice. Yeah, I've been told that my voice sounds like uh, like I should be a smooth jazz radio DJ. Not sure where that came from, but I'll take it. And I guess just well, just off the bat, I want to uh, want to apologize to all of your listeners for probably being the least interesting guest that you've had on the show thus far. But uh, hey, you know. Everyone, everyone, every show needs a filler guest. Happy to play the part. Happy to be here. You know, I disagree. I think you're a very, very <laughs> interesting guy. Um, we've seen a lot together. But yeah, you do sound like you're a smooth jazz, like late night radio guy. Have you ever thought about like going into media? Like the, the voice just carries. Yeah, that's a great question. Back in high school, I thought that I wanted to be a TV news anchor or a TV reporter. Um, probably for like, I mean, before high school, like growing up, that's what I thought I wanted to be. Um, maybe weatherman, you know, anything that had to do with TV news. And I was super involved in TV broadcasting back in high school and, 
I think as I got a little older, probably my junior year of high school, realized that if I wanted to start off in TV news that I would be starting in like, you know, bumblefuck Kansas or something. And I didn't really, you know, think that spending the prime of my 20s in the middle of nowhere in the United States on a little watched local news station was was the way to go. Uh, it didn't really seem like a whole lot of fun. So I decided that going the business route was probably a better move. And here we are. But who knows? This could be my big break. If there's any talent evaluators listening, I mean, sit back any and listen. I mean, scouts. right there yeah. in front of you. Slide into my DMs. Knowing that you had lofty aspirations as a kid makes a lot more sense in context because you sold out to the man and became a consultant for the big four. Mm-hmm. Big D, deloited to have you on the show. <laughs> but uh, no, in all seriousness, um, I feel like that is pretty typical of, of consultants. They all kind of had one dream one time or another, but then life happens and you wind up commuting to Wichita, Kansas every week. And you, you said you didn't want to be in Bumblefuck and you wound up in Bumblefuck. So <laughs> anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Funny how life works like that. Uh, yeah. I, uh, back in high school again, um, my buddy and I, Jack, we started doing some like tech consulting, you know, working with local businesses and doing website design and just, you know, typical nerdy stuff. And that kind of spurred my interest in consulting, you know, the idea of solving different problems and working with different businesses and not doing the same thing every day uh, was really interesting to me. So uh, going to college, knew that was a potential path that I wanted to take. And then my uh, senior year, that's when that first came to fruition. So you had these, you know, lofty aspirations of being a, you know, TV news star, and then you went over to, um, you know, Deloitte as a consultant, Big Four. Do you do you think you're a sellout or, or no? <laughs> uh, I I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, to me, opportunity to work in consulting seemed like uh, seemed like a good place to start. You know, I I don't think I'll be doing this my whole life. I certainly won't be traveling to Bumblefuck. Uh, Kansas the rest of my life. If I do, please save me. But no, I, I think it's a good place to start, and uh, I we'll, we'll see where it takes me. You know, I've I've been there uh, coming up on three years, and who knows what's next? Yeah, definitely feel you on the consulting front as a fellow consultant myself. I, yeah. I definitely know the grind. So let's rewind a little bit though and talk about college because you had quite the run in college. You <laughs> went through a, a transformation. You're uh, Andy, and then you became Randy, a much maligned and terrifying figure. You became the risk manager of our fraternity, yet you yourself posed the greatest risk. What was your experience like living a a dual life of being both the problem solver and the problem itself? (laughs) Yeah, Sam, it's funny. Um, Didn't didn't really intend for things to to work out that way. I actually ran for, uh, let's just back as our sophomore year, ran for house manager. Um, you know, thought that sounded like a fun, pretty, pretty uh, low effort gig and lost uh, house, lost election for house manager. And the next position up was risk manager. And I was, you know, we were all sitting in the chapter room and there were a few of, of Ari of our old friends from camp, you know, Benny Greenfield and some other guys. And they were telling me, you know, you, you should, you'd be really good on, on the e-board. Uh, you should, you know, 
run for, for something. And I couldn't do house manager, so I risk manager was the next up, and I figured I'd throw my hat in the ring. And, you know, lo and behold, a position that nobody really wanted to take <laughs> went to me, and the rest is history. I was uh, risk manager of the Beta Iota chapter of Alpha Epsilon Pi for one whole year. Did uh, uh did you attempt to dispute the results of the election for house manager? Stop yeah, stop the steal. <laughs> All honesty though, like I've known you for a while and uh you're you've you're very technical, you're also like very project driven. So there were a lot of projects around the house that you saw, and even though you weren't you were risk manager, which was different from house manager. You kind of like still assumed both roles. You were, yeah. you know, building things. You were building new stages. Like you're great with a drill. You're really good for mountain TVs. Like, what were some of the projects that you were working on? Yeah, we did all did all sorts of stuff around the house. You know, that was more of a uh, of a, a labor of love. I've always been pretty handy and you know, enjoyed building things and fixing things and taking things apart. So, uh, you know, we just do random stuff around the house. Barrett and I. A uh, good old friend of the program, Barrett Rosenbaum, we uh, we were the sustainability chairs, which was uh, very much a, a bullshit title uh, to put on the resume. But we embarked on a project to make our old chapter house a little more sustainable by like putting in motion sensing lights and, you know, replacing old lights with LEDs and stuff like that, which I think at the end of the day is kind of funny because every weekend we would you know, throw parties with hundreds of plastic cups and do all sorts of, uh, of unsustainable things. But, um, it was, it was fun to at least, uh, you know, put in a little effort and try to do our part. And we actually ended up winning some Greek challenge, uh, for, you know, most energy save in the house. So, you know, it, it was fun. It was, I guess, to some degree, it was kind of impactful and, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed my time on eBoard. I think that it was uh, it was a great learning experience. It was a great leadership experience, and learned a lot about myself and about working with others through that. Sounds pretty cliche, but uh, I, I really do think that I learned a lot of lessons. People world. forget that you got the house lead certified. What was that like? Uh, yeah. Um, no, I was kidding. That definitely didn't happen. No, <laughs> we, we were not absolutely lead certified. Not. <laughs> Whatever the opposite of lead certified is, that's what we were. We were on the certified lead blacklist. Hit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the EPA black site. Yeah, Andy, I was going to say, I agree with you. Like, you know, I was brother at large. I was co-brotherhood chair with Jake Baruch. And like, even though like, and like, I've even said it in job interviews. I'm like, I know this is college, but like, I was like, this like meant something to me at the time. And like, I think it was like impactful in my life on like the things I like ended up doing going forward. So I definitely agree with you there, but you know, you were, you were a great eboard member and then you kind of had a little bit of a fall of grace. Uh, there was a, there was a day in the bathroom and Linda had David come on lives the in me, yes. and, and, and mentioned it. Do, do you want to talk about that day and, and what, sure. what exactly went down? I'll talk about that day. I'll just add one more thing about the you know, leadership and eboard and all yeah. that. I think, one of the best lessons that I took from eBoard, and you guys probably relate to this, is that you know when you're when you're in college and you're working on a, on a group project with some people you've never met, you know, that's usually like a, a week long thing, a couple of weeks, maybe a semester long project. 
And if you don't get along, like you don't get along, you never really have to see those people again. It's not the end of the world. Uh, whereas on eboard, you know, these are people who you've been friends with for about a year going into the house longer, you know, if you knew them before college, like Ari and I. And so you really have to, to work to figure out how to work with people who you know, work differently than you do, have different leadership styles, different traits and things. And so I think it was a great exercise in figuring out how to, to work with other people and learn from other people and grow from other people when you're stuck stuck with, uh, with the same team for, for a year. And that's exactly what, what we were. And those are lessons that I've been able to carry with me you know, through college, after college, to the glorious corporate world, all that fun stuff. So it was good. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that as well. I mean, like Ari was saying, you all have your own kind of set responsibilities and whether or not they're big or small, it's something that you take ownership of, which ultimately does look good on a resume, obviously, but then B, it definitely does actually build skill sets for real life. I was the alumni chairman, so I gained a lot of experience sending emails that never were returned, which really helped me. Very valuable uh, in the real world. <laughs> I, I built a lot of my chops uh, in the fraternity house. So I'm I, sure I, your parents I, are glad that they paid for you to walk away from college with that experience. I mean, it may have been the most valuable thing that I had. So I would think so. So let's talk about the yeah, magnum we'll, opus we'll, of uh, Andy, yeah. though. So talk about the night that you rolled off of eBoard and, and rolled into your, uh, I don't even know what to call it, maybe maybe the, the post like eBoard. Wave? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so we, we talked a lot about the, you know, the virtues of being on eBoard, the leadership lessons learned and all that fun stuff. But even still, the last night of my... My term, I was so excited to be done that we um, we were all excited to be done, that we, eboard gathered in a room and we drank, we pre-gamed our chapter meeting where we would do, do the transition, leadership transition from us to the new eboard. And somewhere along the way, I thought it would be a good idea to make a very strong Svedka and cranberry mixed drink and rip shots of Svedka and chase it with my very strong cranberry Svetka mixed drink. And uh, shockingly, it didn't, didn't turn out all too well. Blacked out very hard. <laughs> and I was in chapter, and apparently I was, uh, I was being pretty disruptive. Uh, you guys would know better than I would. Yeah, I can confirm. Yeah being disruptive in chapter. And then at some point I left the chapter room, went to the single women's bathroom in the fraternity house. It was just like a, you know, single, single occupancy stall or single occupancy ba bathroom rather. Then I locked the door because I was drunk. And what do you do when you go into a bathroom by yourself? You lock the door <laughs> and uh, passed out in the bathroom. And then I was rescued by one Ryan Mandel with a sledgehammer. He took a sledgehammer to the bathroom door and opened it up and discovered me on the floor. <laughs> that was easily the drunkest I've ever been absolutely that night. Well, it was a deserved celebration, I think, because you did actually do a whole lot of good as risk manager. You came up with a lot of great ideas, but you uh, you had a lot of good will to work with, and you used up almost all of it. But it was uh, actually inspiration for, I think, my finest Snapchat I've ever sent. It was a picture of you passed out. And I said, you either 
die a risk manager or you live long enough to see yourself become the risk. So I appreciate you giving me that Snapchat. So you, you know, I have a bad feeling. After. I have a bad feeling that 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 Snapchat is going to end up in my wedding montage somehow. Wow, call your shot. It just might. <laughs> it might it might resurface from the shadows one day, but we are not going to resurface it as a podcast. If someone the out there podcast would never do such a thing. No, no yeah. we don't oust. There's no gotcha journalism here. We're anti-cancel culture at the Legends Podcast. <laughs> Someone's got to be. <laughs> at least I am. I don't know about Sam. I think we also got to talk a little bit about the vending machine because the vending machine was one of the stories that oh, yeah. we talked about with Linda that she was very entertained by, but also very perturbed by. What yes. uh, what was your role in that crime, and would you own up to it, or do you still deny that crime being the vending machine? Being the theft of the vending machine, the money in the vending machine. And well, actually, it wasn't the vending machine itself. It was just the contents of the vending machine, both the food and the money. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's, it's important for our, our listeners to know that uh, there's I, I think of myself as being a pretty responsible guy. I feel like you guys would agree, but maybe I'm wrong. But I do things that people wouldn't think that I'm the culprit. Example is the vending machine incident where I returned home, uh, returned back to school rather from home in the fall. And there was a vending machine in our fraternity house full of- uh, Never should have been there. That was the yeah. first mistake. Exactly. It was a good idea that shouldn't have ever really come to fruition. Right. Exactly. And uh, one night me and a few other guys got the bright idea to break into the vending machine. And so we took the vending machine, we flipped it over, like flipped the entire vending machine over and we were crying <laughs> on the door. Uh, and we finally got it open. Uh, we got it open, took all, the, <laughs> took all the candy outside, uh, took all the candy out of the vending machine, took all the money out of the vending machine, and then flipped the vending machine right side up again, went into the kitchen, got some whatever we could find, really. Bananas. Was, uh, was bananas, bananas, some oranges, uh, pears, all of which Corn. looked awful, by the way. This was like. Like, I think the produce we get at the fraternity house was the stuff like they couldn't sell the grocery stores so bad. It was not Chiquita. <laughs> oh no, this is this is bad, bad stuff. And corn. So we had husks of corn. So yeah. we uh, we put it all in the vending machine, closed it back up, plugged it in, and we're good to go. <laughs> Just trying to make the house a healthier place. Yeah, that was that that vending machine never uh, never should have been there in the first place, and. And going back to what you were, what you said, Andy, about you know being the guy no one suspects. You know, you and me worked at a camp together, and uh, you happened to get a golf cart key, and you were you were taking the golf cart around camp just casually, but people were looking at him and like, oh, like he probably has a reason to take the golf cart, and you never got questioned for about four weeks. Yeah, the statute of limitations is probably run out by now. So yeah, we uh, went on eBay. Bought some golf cart keys. They're all generic. If you have one, you know, club card, golf cart key, it works on all club cars. And <laughs> I did not know so that. I, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Any brand golf cart key, they're, they're the same across the brand. So went online, <laughs> went, went on eBay, bought like five golf cart keys and had them shipped, <laughs> shipped to camp. <laughs> and yeah, just walk up to the office and, you know, Walk into a golf cart, put the key in, and drive off. And I noticed that there was like a like a yellow keychain on the golf carts that 
that the camp keys had. So I took some yellow string and I tied it around the keys that if anyone just like glanced at it, they would see some yellow and maybe I wouldn't really put it together that I wasn't authorized to be operating a golf cart. But uh, yeah, I did it for did it for a month and no one asked any questions. I think it started when one of my campers hurt his foot or ankle or something. Yeah, the fridge. He hurt his ankle. And I got to drive him around camp in a golf cart. And we were like, whoa, this is great. So then I bought some golf. We didn't want didn't want the fun to end once he uh you know, once he was off crutches and could walk again. So we bought some keys and just kept driving the golf carts around. I remember Ari, you and I on like rest hour one day, uh, went and it was like a gravel pile. And we went and took a golf yeah, cart off, one, off a pile of gravel and got some air on it. Yeah, <laughs> we were flying by the horses. Yeah, it was great. You know, all you yeah. have to do is, is look like you're supposed to be doing what you're doing or look like you belong somewhere. And usually people don't ask any questions. Yeah, you look responsible. But looks right. can be deceiving. Exactly. One more thing, and I think we can get off the topic of college. One thing that I was actually very impressed with that you did was the little ID scanner at the back door for mm. parties to not let in freshmen, which is hilarious because it wasn't even like an age thing because we were all underage too at the time. But it was like, oh, well, we draw the line at freshman year. But how did that even work? Yeah, so it started um, with the previous e-board. And Kevin Kaplan had built this this tool uh, with an Excel file. You know, you'd, you'd swipe a student ID card, and it would tell you if they're a freshman or not. And it's a pretty good idea because at the time, the university wouldn't let freshmen into fraternity parties. They said it was too much of a risk. So we needed a way to weed out freshmen. So when I became risk manager, at some point they stopped, they changed the ID card. So the new freshman, you couldn't tell if they were a freshman based on swiping their ID card. So I had to come up with something else. And so I ended up building out this tool that would uh, basically check against a, a database of everybody that was in Greek life and tell you, you know, if they were a freshman, sophomore, junior, if they weren't in Greek life, all that. So use that to, um, to at the back door to help keep uh, our parties safe and regulated and all that fun stuff. And then I ended up working with the university to implement that at the across Greek life at Indiana. So we, every fraternity on campus was using our tool. It was called Sotrio and they used it for I don't know, probably a couple of years. And yeah, that, that was a great experience. It's no longer in use, but um, that was that was really cool. That was the first time I've ever like, built something and had it used by an actual uh, like customer base. Well, we were you were preventing risk. You couldn't have no freshman girls in the uh, party. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was the sole risk that we took on as a fraternity. It was like really like once we got the freshmen out of there, then like everything was really smooth sailing. There just like weren't other underage kids. No risk. Large no risk whatsoever. Yeah, everyone was exactly. thinking really responsibly. Right. <laughs> so you took a fifth year at school um you were you were yeah. absent for i think a, a semester and then you used your time did you change your major or were you always kind of dead set on informatics and kind of like tech consulting or, or business i guess implementation i guess like what, what do you what did you do or what did you have the idea to do in college how did you execute it and then like i guess like what do you do now that was a multi-part question so we can unpack that a little bit. Yeah, so starting starting with, uh, yeah, I did take a fifth year. I took a semester off of college my junior year, spring semester junior year. So when some of you guys were abroad, 
Uh, I just got that semester at home. And uh, to answer your second question, yeah, I was, um, I I did not change my major. I was informatics okay. the entire time, yeah. So I've always been, like, throughout college, I knew I wanted something that like the intersection of business and technology. And to me, informatics and studying, uh, I was an informatics major and like, you know, Kelly minor, finance minor and some certificate or I don't know, whatever it was. Um, I just wanted a good cross between those two areas and definitely got it at IU. And so then you started working for Deloitte right out of school. And then are you, I guess, I know there's a ton of different departments and kind of sectors at, at Deloitte. What do you do specifically if you're able to name drop? Yeah, um, I work in supply chain, specifically manufacturing technology consulting. Um, so <laughs> it's funny, I just sort of ended up there. I have no supply chain experience. I have no manufacturing experience. But my very first project at Deloitte was a what we call smart factory project. I worked with an aerospace company to you know help them basically improve their manufacturing process and all that. I won't bore you with the details. But, You're just uh, going in there and putting in motion sensor lights and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Putting in ID card swipers to keep the freshmen out of factories, all that. All <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was really interesting. Very up my alley. It just sort of happened that way that, you know, at, on that project, I was doing some hands-on stuff, got to build some things and yeah, it was great. So I've been doing that the last uh, two and a half years, doing smart factory uh, and, and manufacturing supply chain consulting. Sounds really, I don't know, I wish there was like a cooler name or something that sounded less pretentious, but it is what it is. Yeah. So um, you're obviously from Chicago, Northbrook to be exact. Uh, you always, you know, growing up, you told me you had, you had this dream to like live in New York. I know your dad's in New Jersey, just across the river. After school, you moved to New York and worked for Deloitte. You're there for a couple of years, had some great visits with you. Um, and COVID hits, your lease is up and you started kind of bouncing around. And I know you lived a couple places. Um, you want to talk about the places you've lived and kind of what's been your favorite so far? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love New York. Um, like you said, before I graduated, I, I've known for a long time I wanted to live in New York City, Manhattan specifically, after I graduated college. That was always always on the radar. Grew up in Chicago, but I've never really had much interest in living in the city of Chicago. It's just never really like done it for me. I think it's great. I love Chicago. I think summer in Chicago is the, the best out of any city to spend summer in. But yeah, I, I've uh, never been particularly attracted to living in the city. Um, yeah, COVID hit. Oh, I, I should say I lived in New York for two years. COVID hit, and I spent a few months at home during like peak COVID in New York. I, I didn't want to be in the city, so I was at home in Northbrook. And then my lease was up in July in New York, uh, or August, end of July, early August. And I decided I wanted to, to go somewhere new. California has always been always been on my radar as somewhere I wanted to. To live. Uh, I wanted to go to college out there. I, just, I, I like the weather. I like the vibes. I think it's a great place. And so California was like top of the list. I was looking at California and Miami when my lease was up. Places to go because I'm fortunate enough to have a job where I'm fully remote and I can 
do my job from pretty much anywhere as long as it's in the United States. So ended up Instagram DMing one of my friends who was doing a similar thing, left New York. He happened to be in, in California. He was in, uh, in San Diego here and DM'd him and said, you know, hey, what's up? I'm thinking of coming out to California. Where are you? What are you doing out there? And he said that he was doing the same thing as me. And he actually had a spot open in his apartment if I wanted to join him. So went back and forth. He sent me the paperwork and some pictures of the place and whatever. And I ended up signing uh, for a month, spending a month in San Diego uh, between August and September of last year, 2020. And then one month became two months, became three months. I, I didn't want to leave. I, I loved it there. Went home for Thanksgiving, spent a few months at home. And uh, yeah, I've, I've been bouncing around. I went to Denver for a month to ski, uh, visit our, our other, uh, another one of our friends, friend of the program, another one, Sam Wolfson. And uh, yeah, we, we skied for a month, met some old high school friends. It was great. So I'm, I'm really just trying to take full advantage of working remote. You know, I know that I'm very fortunate to be able to like I said, I have a job where I can do it anywhere. So I'm going to try and stay working remotely from different places as long as I can. Did you use your time with Wolfson to bring him over to the dark side? Because he just started side. at Deloitte. Ah, <laughs> uh, I, I had a small role to play in that. Did you get that referral bonus, though? I did not get the referral oh, bonus. Oh, that sucked. That hurts. Yeah, he, he, was, um, yeah, he was recruited, like LinkedIn or something. Oh, good for him. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't kind of slide in there and like throw a recommendation in. I asked, yo, you want to send me your resume? Use that referral bonus. He's like, yeah, <laughs> the process already in motion. Don't want to screw anything up. But <laughs> told him to like Benmo, Benmo me a couple grand and we'll be even. <laughs> <laughs> um so you know, I mentioned earlier I've no, I've known you for a while. And sometimes it's a little uh, a little challenging to get in touch with you. Uh, you're, a notorious, <laughs> you're a notorious bad texter. You're a notorious am, non, non-responder. Are you You'll taking like, any are, are you taking any like uh, precautions or motions to like be better at that and <laughs> stay in touch with your friends? Yeah, I I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Actually, um, you know, it's been like I said, traveling around, working remote, and I think the coolest part about that is I've had an opportunity to, to make a bunch of new friends all over the place. I made some friends in Colorado, made a bunch of friends out in San Diego. And so, yeah, I've, I've had to up my, uh, up my game a little bit when it comes to, you know, networking and <laughs> keeping in touch with people and trying to remember what people do and all that. Um, so I've, I've been putting in more effort and I've been trying to, to set aside time I found that setting aside time, whether it's like 10 minutes or a half hour or an hour, whatever it is, once a week to like get in touch with somebody, whether it's family or friends or just like set up some recurring time to make sure that, you know, I'm always in touch with somebody. So nobody slips off the radar. Yeah, Andy, one of the things I actually respect about you a lot is that you are able to make friends outside of college. Like, not that I don't have this ability. I just don't really try to do it that much. I mostly just hang out with the same people I've been friends with for a while. But I mean, you had a great project team where you guys like went on trips and whatnot, which looked super fun. You've been making some other friends. I mean, good for you. 
it's not a question. Yeah. It's just a no. Thank you. Thank you. I, yeah, it's something that um, I've. I don't think I realized that I enjoyed until after college. I think I, I just never really thought about it very much. You know, college, you're you know your friends, people in your dorm, and that's kind of like handed to you, right? You don't have to put in much effort to your friends, people in your dorm. Same with our fraternity. You know, you don't put in much effort. But uh, yeah, after college, starting at starting at work and making friends at work. Um, yeah, it, it's something that uh, I just enjoy meeting new people and learning about them and learning their stories and all that. So, uh, yeah, it's I, great. I will say this about you, Andy. Uh, I respect the fact that, like, you don't look at your phone all the time. And that's, like, something that, like, a lot of people struggle with. And I think it's, like, it's, like, kind of annoying when I'm, like, yo, like, do you want to hang out? And you'll be like, you'll text me at like 4 p.m. and be like, sure. And I'll be like, all right, like, what do you want to do? And then at 10.30, you'll be like, yo, like, I can't hang out. And I'll be like, <laughs> but aside from that, like, you, like, so many people, and I struggle with it. And, like, I know so many people out there struggle with it. They just, like, get caught looking at their phone for, like, 20, 30 minutes. And you do a very good job of not looking at your phone because you're not texting us back, which is, you know, good. I, I think you give me a little too much credit. I think I, I <laughs> as much as I would like to be the person that doesn't spend much time on their phone, I feel like I spend a lot of time on my phone, but I just like, uh, when it comes to responding to somebody or doing something I don't want to do, I'm very bad at saying, oh, you know, I'll, I'll do it later. You know, yeah. I'll, I don't want to respond this second, so I'll do it in a few minutes. And a few minutes becomes a few hours and I just you know, forget. Yeah, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was, Whenever something comes up that you don't really want to do, just do it. Because if you don't just do it, you're going to find every excuse in the world to just keep pushing it off. And that's uh, that rings very true with me, whether it's texting somebody back or doing some, you know, task at work I don't want to do or going grocery shopping or whatever. And you dropped the weekly screen time. Oh, God. Uh I can tell you mine is like four plus hours, like probably like four yeah. and a half on average. But I will say this. I use Teams on my phone for meetings and I'll mm -hmm. have the, the video or whatever up on my phone for audio purposes so I can mute and unmute because you use AirPods and it just connects easier to my phone. So I'm, I'm going to say like an hour of that is Teams, but it is like four and a half hours. Okay. I'm, I'm at three hours, 47 minutes. That was that's, good. that's low. Yeah, it's low. I feel like I'm I've like, been, been using it less recently because I've been outside more and more active. Yeah, Usually, I'm it's at, more than that. This is a good week. You caught me at a good week. I, I'm at like four and a half, but what I did do is I, I set a timer so that I, uh, like, once I hit an hour on Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, total time between those apps, it locks it. You could just, like, snooze it and hit 15 more minutes and go up, which sometimes I do. But it's, like, a good way because I was, like, I don't need to be looking at, like, Instagram for more than an hour a day. Like, if that. You know what I mean? But now I also set my phone on, like, a rest mode. So starting at 9 p.m., it, like, locks all my apps that are, like, non-essential. Yeah, that that the bedtime mode is great. I use yeah. that all the time. I use it every night. And then, yeah, the you know locking out of apps at a certain time. I actually just re-enabled that last week. Felt like I was spending too much time on Instagram and social media. It's crazy. Yeah. Before before screen time, 
I have absolutely no idea, obviously, how much time I was spending on my phone, but guarantee it's a lot. And ever since screen time, like I look at it, like, wow, how how am I spending four hours a day looking at this thing? Yeah, it's kind or of depressing. two hours. Yeah, two hours on social media. Like, yeah, what am I getting out of that? No, yeah, you're spending like what a a sixth of your day looking at a two by five screen. Just, it just can't be the best use of the time. How do you guys feel about social media? Like, I've been tempted to deactivate my Instagram, my Facebook, and my Snapchat, and just kind of do a what I call it, digital detox for a bit. I think like a month is about as much as I could do. I don't know. I just use Instagram for, for too many things. I use Twitter for too many things. Because for me, it's not just about the social media. It's about the social interaction that I get on it with my friends. Like I'll DM people funny tweets. Sending memes back and forth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like that's not really like living life, but I do stay in touch with a lot of people just via sending content to them that I know that they'll enjoy. And I mean, granted, if I took time off of social media, in theory, I would replace that with actual conversation, which yeah. I would have to think is a more constructive uh, friendship yeah. route. But I mean, at the same time, it's it's just pretty fun. But I think as long as it's not consuming you, because I think the problem is a lot of people compare themselves to other people. Like they'll, mm-hmm. I don't know, like if I'm if I'm staying home on a Friday night, which obviously happened a lot during the pandemic, just because you're trying and you're to just safe. like don't have that many friends. Yeah, and nobody wants to hang out with me. I right. look at Instagram stories and it's like, oh man, like this is super depressing. Like I don't like that's the one time where I won't do anything if I'm choosing to stay and I'll stay off of social media. But I mean, otherwise, it's not like negatively affecting me. But I know that does yeah. happen with a lot of people, and like I get that. I think it's really bad. Like that that's a great point. And I think that issue is really prevalent in younger kids. Like my younger sisters spend a lot of time on Instagram, Snapchat, all that. And I don't know, man. I, I can't imagine growing up in today's society and constantly being bombarded by social media. Yeah. It's just so toxic. Yeah. And We've talked about this on the show before, but we're kind of like that last generation where like, you know, I got a cell phone in sixth grade and it was like a flip phone. And then like Facebook was a thing in eighth grade. But like, you know, I'd go to school and then I'd go home and then I'd get on the computer and go look at Facebook like it wasn't like in your face. And then came the iPhone. So like we were kind of like grew up in a time where it was like you got on your bike and like met up with other kids in the neighborhood and like went and like threw rocks at shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah. that's what I was doing, but I definitely, it, I have a list of things I like want to do. And one of them is like a 30 day social media detox, like no Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, just like delete it from my phone. I think it would do wonders, but again, it is like a way I communicate with my people, but I am like, after I saw the social the social dilemma on Netflix. It was like, honestly, like pretty terrifying. And I was like, that's like so true that it's just like, like, like these, like these tech companies just like know what makes you tick. And they just like constantly just like hit you with it. And it's like not healthy, but I also believe that like, there's so much like, like as much negative shit that's come out of it, there's so much good that's come out of it. And if you like could identify the bad stuff, and mitigate your time on it that's why i'm setting timers on my phone and you recognize like it's not healthy to stare at instagram all day it's not healthy to like try and measure yourself up to someone that you're never going to be but like you could really network with it 
and you could really accomplish a lot with it. You could promote your business ultimately for free. Totally. I mean, like you could, there's yeah, different- it's not all bad. Social media is not all, not You all could bad. pay to get your posts noticed by more people, but like you don't really have to if you don't want to. But with that being said, you people like, it's super important that people are aware of the dangers that come with it. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, I think you'd have to be self-aware. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, to your point, Ari, there is just so much utility to social media too, though. Like obviously a, there's like community building and stuff like that. But every time I ever have a question and I Google it, there's just some dude on Reddit who asked literally the exact same question four years earlier. And there's like <laughs> exactly. eight really valuable responses. So like there's that aspect of it, but then also, yeah, I mean, I get a lot of news from social media. Obviously it's not as valuable as you would if you were going to read a full length article about it. But if you're just trying to get the, high level rundown on things that actually are pertinent to you there's no better forum than like an instagram feed that's customized to your interests and same thing with twitter and i mean there's definitely a lot of utility to it but it just can't consume your life yeah there's there's really only like i really only get my news from one source and that's 6 p.m with tucker baby i don't not nothing else <laughs> <laughs> i'm more of an ingram angle kind of guy it's fair and kidding, fair. kidding, kidding, kidding. Newsman only, exclusively. Just kidding. OANN. Yeah. Andy, where were you on January sixth? Uh, where was I? I was uh, at home in Northbrook. At least that's what I want people to believe. Yes, yes. I think my mom. I was home with my mom. He can okay. good alibi. He can keep provide you a. Uh, fake, I mean, real uh, alibi that I was known. Andy, one other topic that I really wanted to cover with you is, is you underwent a little bit of a transformation. There's there's Andy pre-beard and Andy post-beard. <laughs> How has the beard changed your life? The jawline is looking very defined. Thank you, thank you. Um, this is probably the best question I've gotten all hour. And by what the people want to hear most, don't you think? Well, we'll put the picture out on Instagram, and when they see that, that's the that's <laughs> so. Yes. Honestly, I, did, I didn't really put too much thought into it. I, in college, uh, no shave November, I, uh, sophomore year, tried to grow a beard, failed. Um, it was, like, just patchy and gross. And then senior year, I, senior year number two, I, uh, Decided to, to grow a beard, no shave November, and it didn't look so bad for once. And so I kept it for a little while. I think I kept it for like, I don't know, maybe a couple months and shaved it off. And then when I started working, I thought maybe I should grow my beard out. Maybe I'll look a little less. I'm not a very baby faced, but maybe I'll look a little bit older, a little bit more wise when, you know, I'm put in front of a client or something at work. So grew it out and. Yeah, I haven't looked back. Gotten gotten some good feedback. My mom doesn't love it, but hey, you can't win them all. Most most Jewish mothers hate beards, and they'll be like, shave they like shave that garbage off your face. Yeah, but, how does Wendy feel about um, your beard? No, my my mom and my dad don't like it, but it, it's something they're just gonna have to deal with. I actually don't really have that much facial hair right now, but I uh, um, I've been ro- rocking with the beard since about January of 2019. It's kind of strange though, because and I don't know if you had the same feeling, but like 
I definitely tried to grow one when I was younger and like it would get really itchy mm-hmm. and I just would like do it and then shave it and then I got to a point where I was like, all right, like I just gotta like get past the itch and just like let it ride and then now like it doesn't really itch me. Sam, yeah, it doesn't itch like, what's, your, what's your beard like situation like? Like how, how thick do you grow it? Not very thick. I got I got the, the mustache and I got the goatee. And I'm, I'm getting there on the sides. My problem is I don't have a neck beard. Like I have like an anti-neck beard. A lot of kids get the neck beard first and then they just rock the neared. I'm the opposite of that. I could do a Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean, but that's about it. But I, I've been doing a little bit of stubble for like the last year. Andy, um, in talking with our friend Rob Monfred takes credit for telling you to do the beard. Can you oh, confirm yeah, or deny I will never give Rob the satisfaction of <laughs> saying that he led me to make any decisions in my life. So, no, I, I, it was all of my own accord that I grew my beard out. It was in no part due to any advice from Rob Monfred. At the direction of Rob Monfred, did you grow a beard? Yes or no? No. And he saw a guy on Instagram with a beard and he was like, I have to do that. Because he feels pressured by social media. That's true. Uh, yeah, I I, uh, I can't think for myself. I need social media to tell me what to do and what to look like. It it's funny now when I think about like the guys we went to college with. Like no no one really like rocked. There were maybe probably a few that rocked a beard. Not that I can remember, but now everyone fucking rocks a beard like post college. I don't know if it's just like I, I was thinking about that not that long ago. I don't know if it's just like a post college thing or beards are just in right now. Um, I think people just I don't know, throw them. I agree. Right. Like, it, are they just in now because we can all grow a beard or is it like a style thing? I have no idea. Well, see, mine grows in pretty full on both ends. Like, it looks like it's like shaved from the top. Like, it grows in straight. Also, not that I'm super self-conscious about it. I do have a dimple on my chin. Not the end of the world hasn't really held me back from anything you know i do fine with the ladies like with or without the beard but i do like i like i think it looks better with the beard covering it are you out here with that peter griffin looking chin mm-hmm. yeah no i have a butt chin it is what it is like it, that's just like that's just a fact and the facts simply do not care about my feelings i don't care about your feelings oh, right. I was like if i could cover it up with a beard like that's like you know you know i will say that the beard Beard has an added benefit of when you when you put on a few pounds, it kind of hides it. You know, you don't see it in your face as much. Um, I've never put on weight. I don't know. I can't relate. Yeah, I'm in sure. lean must, shape. Must, must just be a, a uniquely me. I could use a, you know, I could use probably I could shed ten pounds. Wouldn't hurt. Yeah. Just need to go. We just need to do a Jewish triathlon every day. We do for the uh, for the listeners unfamiliar. What's the Jewish triathlon? So uh, me and Andy, uh, we went to the same gym in Skokie, Lifetime Fitness, right behind my house. Andy would drive down, and 24/7. Back in the day and, when we were huge, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, very, very rarely did we did Andy ever text me and go, "Do you want to work out?" It was always a Jewish triathlon. And since I lived really close to it, and like you know, Andy's a little bit of a night owl. Sometimes he hit me up at like 10:30, 11. This is a 24/7 gym. He's like Jewish triathlon. I'm like yes. So we would uh, we would steam, we would sauna, and we would hot tub. Um, usually we put the hot tub. Le- I you know we honestly we probably switched up the order. I know the hot tub was either first or last. 
always. Yeah. There, there's but, no athletic event. And shower. And shower. Shower's just a, that's, that's the after. Yeah. Happens after the triathlon. I would argue that there's no more challenging athletic event than the Jewish triathlon. Yeah. It really, it really, uh, it opens up pores in your body that you didn't even know you had. I think I'm going to do body to the ragged edge. There's ultra marathons. There's climbing El Capitan without any sort of ropes. And then there's a Jewish triathlon on a Sunday afternoon. And I, I, yes, yeah. I, I think that real athletes are those who <laughs> have the endurance to complete the Jewish triathlon. Andy, speaking of athletes, we're not a sports podcast by any means, but Thank God. we know that you're a huge sports junkie. So we just wanted to get some of your takes on uh, just some of the questions we've been asking. All right. So I guess just like right off the bat, like who do you think the, the Falcons should take at the number four spot? Do you think they should go with the quarterback of the future with either like Trey Lance or Justin Fields? Or do you think that Kyle Pitts at tight end makes more sense to add more weapons to their offense? I'm a big Trey Lance guy. I, I think he's gonna he's gonna bring it home for them. What do you what do you like about Trey Lance? Is it the fact that he went to North Dakota State and only started one game? Do you like that or like do you see that as a red flag? Uh no, no, I, I think that it just um you know, he's been preserving himself, right? Yeah, okay. I like that every game. It, it's uh 3D chess. So the team decided yeah. not to play any games except for one game. But it was a decision that was made on behalf of him. It was basically like he was exactly like yes, got it. He he wanted to uh, to preserve himself for the big leagues, and frankly, I think that was the right call. You know, uh, I'm I'm a big big North Dakota State Bison fan, so looking forward to seeing what he does. Whoa, whoa! I can't see if you're looking up anything on the side over there, but I'll take it. All right, Andy. I mean, Mike Mike Woodson. You know, just big hire for Indiana. How do you think he's doing so far? And, and what do you think of the, the recruits that he's retained? Yeah, th- this I actually am so knowledgeable about. I, I'm not a big, uh, a huge sports guy, but I do really enjoy following Indiana basketball um, and football to a lesser degree. Watched almost every football game last year, which was, was a ton of fun. You're the official podcast of Indiana football. That's right. I couldn't really. Yeah. Tom Allen uh, endorsed and approved. We don't need Tom Allen. We got the AD. <laughs> yeah, Scott Dolson actually is a sponsor of this podcast. Wow. Wow. Scott, uh, what's up, man? Good to uh, hope you're enjoying the podcast. Um, I think that he's actually, I think Mike Woodson, to your question, has uh, so far exceeded all expectations. I think that there was a lot of, you know, everybody obviously wanted Brad Stevens. and don't think that was very realistic, but he... Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of people who were like, oh, Mike Woodson, he's old. He's um, never coached in college. And so far, all the moves that have been made over the last month, it's only been a month, five weeks, something like that. They seem to be all the right moves. So I'm, I'm excited about the future of Indiana basketball. One thing I wanted to ask about is your, your basketball ability. You went to GBN, a very, very proud school. Uh, Arguably in the North Central Conference, which is also hosted by two new cheer Trevians, Glumberg North arguably has the greatest player to ever come out of that conference. And we John do. Shire went to Duke, started four years, uh, won a national title. 
uh, cover Sports Illustrated. He, well, he won the state championship as well. He did win the state championship and then lost the next year to Derrick Rose and Simeon. Mm-hmm. Um, I do believe that John Shire was going to play in the NBA had it not been an inadvertent eye poke that ultimately kind of ended his career. But there was a there was a famous video of you that went around API playing basketball, <laughs> uh, demonstrating your three point shots. Do you have anything anything to say about that? Uh, about the shot? No, I I I didn't grow up playing basketball. Had a basketball hoop in my driveway. I could probably count on. One hand, I think I times I used more than you ever did. Yes, yes, no doubt. I don't know. I think my grandparents wanted me to play basketball, so they bought me a basketball hoop. And really, they uh, didn't know that my athletic abilities would let them down greatly. Yeah, basketball has never really been my thing. I there, the video you're referencing is me attempting to shoot a, a three pointer on our basketball court at the fraternity house. Uh, took me a very long time, and that's about all I have to say about that. I will add that uh, John Shire's sister was my English teacher in high school. I'm impressed, actually, by the amount of knowledge you have about Indiana basketball and John Shire. Yeah, I was expecting that. Yeah, I am. Um, I try to read up on IU basketball like once a week. You'll occasionally send a meme in our group chats, or like some like. Indiana fires Archie Miller. Like, I think you broke that news to us. And I was like dumbfounded that you were following. <laughs> yeah, it is admittedly about the only sport that I do really follow is IU basketball. But yeah, I enjoy it. My mom went to IU. She actually, Shout out she, was, she was exactly, she was there when they won the national championship in 87. So yeah, I'm hoping that we get to see another one of those soon. And you stole her composite. I did. I did steal my mom's composite from her sorority house and drill it onto the wall of our fraternity house, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> the, the Legends podcast is, is far-reaching. If I remember correctly, this is the number one business podcast in Bolivia. So, I top mean, I, top ten. I think, we got, I think we got up to seven. That was, yeah, our, that, that's, that was our highest rank. Gentlemen, that's an incredible feat. You should both be very proud of yourselves. We're 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 planning we're planning to do a trip to La Paz, Bolivia, then hit the hit the salt flats, uh, meet some fans. <laughs> yep, little uh, listener appreciation tour. Yeah, hand out T-shirts to yeah. underprivileged neighborhoods. The whole the whole shebang <laughs> with our faces on. <laughs> the Legend Podcast Goodwill Tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Andy, we're coming up on about an hour here. What's next for you? Do you have any uh, plans for post-quarantine? Where, where are we raging? Is it Summer Splash, Las Vegas 21, <laughs> somewhere else? Like, what's, what's the plan? You tell us. What is the plan? Well, I'm not much of a planner, but what's the I don't know. I'm, what's the yeah, I'm, I'm, looking forward to, uh, I'm looking forward to being back in New York at some point. I have a few more places that I want to check off my list working remotely before I, you know, eventually hang it up and move back to an apartment somewhere with a year long lease and a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more stability in my life. But uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see where the next few months take me. I'm, I'm looking forward to the summer. Things to be a good one. And yeah, I'm just looking forward to some more normalcy. You know, vaccines are 
rolling out like crazy and hopefully we can uh we can hit vegas again soon we need to film we need to do a legends podcast live in vegas wow that's music from, from encore encore beach club live yes yeah, so a legends podcast live from encore beach club presented oh. by steve Wynn himself i think we should i think we should do a, a live instagram stream for sure while we're while we're there just so oh, like, yeah very sober. I wonder if we could yeah. name drop ourselves into a Diplo show at EBC. Yeah, we can probably, you know, if you, you keep uh, you keep growing the podcast like you have in foreign countries, then next thing you know, we'll be able to get Diplo on. We'll be able to get Smokers on, you know, a nice little sit-down interview with them. Looking forward to it. Also, I just want to go on the record and say, when I die, I want you to – cremate me and then spread my ashes at encore beach club <laughs> wow dude you're taking you're taking my my jokes here Ari. that's my thing but i'm with right there with you i'm 50 I'm 50 i'm ebc and i'm roy's patio when was that yeah ago? i've definitely said that but i i concur i mean maybe if, i said it and then you thought you said it we can both, both are, we can both have that as our do you, think you, do you think you're the first person to ever say that ever no no, definitely. Not. I might be the first person to say spread my ashes at Kilroy's patio. Okay, I never said that. I'm 50, 50 I, I don't want my ashes to be. If I were to be spread anywhere in Bloomington, it'd be in the jungle. <laughs> oh God. Just kidding. That would be vile. Roy's patio would be fine. I want my ashes to be spat out in one of those smoke machines in the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> All over these dancing students. That's uh, a good one. Something else. Three, two, one, go. It's like, oh my god, what is it? <laughs> yeah, Encore Beach Club is uh, a place is something else. So is Roy's. Both of those are, are all time places. Yeah, Roy's is a little more sustainable to go to. Well, financially, yeah, for sure, financially. Well, Andy. Anything you want to leave us with? Words of wisdom, tips on growing a beard, risking man or managing risk, risk managing. risking uh, management. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me on. You know, I've I've been been looking forward to this for a while. If you ever need a guest contributor or uh, some vocal talent, give me a call. Always happy to, to join the program. Uh, words of wisdom. I don't know. I'm not very wise, but um, just, uh, just take advantage of COVID quarantine. I don't know. I mean, we're finally getting back at, getting back at it. Uh, like I said, vaccines and all that. So I don't know. going to be a good summer. Looking forward to it. Just take advantage. Hope to see you guys soon. Likewise, Andy. And if you ever, if we ever develop a weather segment, we'll approach you about doing it because you have to vote for it. And you said you used to want to do it. Yeah, I still, I still don't think you should give up that dream. Like, if, if there's never been an easier time to just sneak your way into the top, yeah, by I mean, using social media. There we it's, go. It's Full true. circle. Yeah, I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll keep my eyes peeled for any, you know, any what? entertainment opportunities, and we'll see. Maybe my career in consulting will turn into a some sort of radio career who knows you, you know what you should do is you should make like another instagram profile and like make yourself like 
a dirty weatherman or like just like use your voice <laughs> and come up with these like ridiculous weatherman posts. Like a bomb. That's a bomb announcing sporting events and like just like made it ridiculous and he got really famous like should make some sort of like weatherman page and just like make it just be really fucked up and funny. It's not you know, the worst idea anyone's ever given you. It is not. It is not. It is not the worst idea. Uh, it's not the best, but it's not the worst. So I'll, 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 you know, leave the podcast with that. It gives me something to sleep on tonight, and who knows? You maybe could you'll... give yourself like an, you could like give yourself an ultimate like uh you know what's the word I'm looking for uh something personality like an alter ego. You could give yourself an alter ego. I don't know. Call him like Randy Cannabis the Weatherman. I don't know. I just thought of that, and then Original. like just let it fucking rip. Yeah. Hey, I'll, uh, I'll give it some thought. You know, if nothing else, I'm leaving the podcast today with some good ideas about what my future could hold. Well, Andy, you're a legend. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> Thanks we for having me. Looking forward to raging with you this summer. Hell yeah. Love you, bro. Love you too.